So if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to open to Psalm 23. We'll have it up here on the screens as well. And as been our practice for the last couple of weeks, I want to just invite you to read it out loud with me. And then we're going to focus just on one verse, verse 5, uh, as we study this, this psalm together. So let's, let's read this together, though. Read this with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Such a good word. You know, when you hear that psalm, and we've read it now for the last few weeks together, let me just ask you, what's the image that comes to your mind? It's an obvious question. I think it comes with an obvious answer, right? That for centuries, this has been known as the shepherd's psalm. It's, uh, it's nearly impossible, I think, to read this chapter and to not see the image of a shepherd with his sheep out in the fields. You agree? You know, these are the first words that David writes in his pen, right? The Lord is my shepherd. And with each subsequent line of this chapter, it's almost as if David now takes this brush and he begins painting this canvas of who the shepherd is and whose then we are as his flock. Kind of reminds me of Bob Ross, right? Puts a little green pasture over there with sheep hanging out on the hill and then over here is this peaceful pond and the shepherd's leading his flock and goodness and, and mercy through the valleys and the shadows. And when we read the, the words of Psalm 23, we can't help but see a shepherd, right? But this morning, I wanna show you how that image is really just part of the bigger picture of this chapter. We're gonna zoom in on, on verse five. I want you to do that with me, just that one verse. And here's what I want us to see. There is a second picture in this Psalm and without it, the first picture is incomplete. And most of us have probably never thought of this, this picture. It's, it's almost as if David's flipped the canvas over and he now begins drawing us something entirely different than we ever saw before. And this time it's not a picture of a shepherd and his sheep. This time it's a picture of a king and his guest. Do you see that? Look again. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, every time uh, I read that, I can't help but think of dinner at my house with two young girls. We always have cups overflowing at our dinner table. Milk's all over the place. But David moves us to this new image of a table. This fall, uh, starting on September 11th, we're actually going to spend all of fall through Thanksgiving on that main thought, the table we're going to look through Luke's gospel from beginning to end and see all the places where Jesus sat and ate with those whom he loved because there's something powerful about a meal together. Just pay close attention here, right? David's been going on and on and on about this shepherd and his sheep, about green pastures, righteous pathways, shadows and valleys. And now suddenly it seems like out of nowhere he's talking about a feast. Where'd that picture come from? 
a banquet. David says, you prepare a table before me. You know, it's one thing to be named livestock, right? To be one of the flock out in the fields, walking with your shepherd in the dirt and the elements. It's another thing entirely, I think, for the sheep, for that same scraggly, filthy, bug-infested animal to now sit at the table in the royal courts. Get that image. Reminds me of my dog growing up. Her name was Sage. And Sage was the most lovable dog, but she was dumber than rocks. And as such, she, she would tear up this furniture, just cause all kinds of havoc in the home. So she was an outdoor dog. But every time that my family gathered up for a, a dinner meal, she would sit outside at the, the glass door, the sliding glass door, just pawing at the glass over and over again, punching at it and barking. So much to say, I want in on this thing. Just ask yourself this question. How is it that the outdoor sheep are now at the dinner table? That's an unlikely kind of scene, right? The, the outdoor animal is, is now sitting with the king. You know, if you're invited to a, as a guest in someone's home, right, for a meal, you're in the place of honor. Just think about the last time you went over to somebody's house for dinner. You know, that's a, that's a special kind of place to sit, right? You invite people to your home because they mean something to you. As a guest at the table, just work this out with me. Who is it that cooks the meal? Is it you? It's typically not, right? You might bring dessert or a side dish, but typically you're sitting at the table and somebody else is preparing the meal before you, right? There, somebody else who loves you is preparing, a, setting a, a place setting for you. And so when you think about that, what does that meal communicate? What does that tell you about who you are in that moment? You know, when you sit at a dinner that you didn't prepare and you're, you're eating it with these friends who prepared it solely for you, you can't help but feel loved, right? You can't help but feel wanted. And just remember the context here. David's been talking all about these shadows in life, these hills and these valleys. He's, he's mentioned encounters with evil. He's, he's talking about these trials that he's walked through. But now it's almost as if he's looking back over his shoulder and he makes this distinct confession. He says, Lord, you have prepared a table before me. Through all of that, you have been with me. And there's so many times in David's life where I feel like he wasn't in that mind space, right? Where he, he wrestled with his faith, where, where he wondered out loud, quite literally, Lord, where do you and I stand? I'm not even sure right now. You ever been there? I think of Psalm 13 when David prayed prayers like this. Look at this. He said, how long, Lord? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Did you forget me? A few weeks ago, we, we talked about how David's life was plagued, just covered with these anxieties that we can't even fathom. You think about what it meant that God prepared a table in the midst of his enemies. What enemies? David had all kinds of enemies, right? He had enemies outside his kingdom. That would be the Philistines. Enemies within his kingdom with Saul. He had enemies within his own family, his sons. He, he had this enemy himself, we know, whispering temptations in his ears. And it makes you wonder, how many times did David really feel as though maybe God wasn't present? Feels as though maybe God did forget him. Remember, at one point, he's on his run from his life, from the most powerful man in the land. At, at another, he's sinned so hard that he's, he's made guilty of murder and adultery. For as much as we celebrate King David as this man after God's own heart, he was also a bit of a wreck. 
See, none of those kind of life events like leave you feeling warm and fuzzy, either by his own life choices or things that happened to him outside of his control. David many times over was asking the question like, wait, where are you, Lord? Where, where are we? Can we get to define the relationship here, right? Because I'm, I'm wondering where we are. Have you forgotten about me? But now this morning, we're, we're handed this completely different image of a, a sheep sitting at this divine table with the Lord. Don't miss how powerful that image is. David's wanting to, to convey something, I think, to us here. You know, as the sheep of God's pasture, walk this out with me. I feel like we're accustomed to two patterns in life. And neither of which is helpful for our walk with him. But this is the pattern, right? First, I think like sheep, we wander. And then in our mistakes, we wonder. First, like sheep, scripture says, we, we all have fallen astray and we wander. And in our wandering, then we wonder. That is that we let our minds, right, begin to doubt God's goodness, right? That we, we wander away from this routine maybe of worship or community. Maybe we wander away from our prayer life, wander away from our, our devotional time. Maybe we wander away from our own convictions and soon we find ourselves just tossed and, and back and forth in these valleys. And in our sin, right, as we're sitting in it like sheep, what do we do? We wonder, Sin always leads to, to isolation, right? And, and we wonder, God, are you still there? Wait, did you forget me? Are we still good? Am I still in your graces? Is there still a seat at the table for me? We begin to think, like, what do I have to do to get back there? See, yet David gives us this different picture entirely, right? He, he hands us this picture of a king and his vassal feasting. He says, somehow, Lord, after all we've been through, right, as I look back over my life, it's clear I'm a guest at your table. You prepare a spread out before me. He's suddenly at this unmerited banquet, drinking from this cup that is overflowing with blessing. Get this, as David's enemies, who he thought were going to lead to his demise, are now watching on, pawing at the sliding glass door. How is that? See, and note this, right? It's not just David that's been given the seat at the table. He says he's been anointed with oil. Now, that might sound kind of odd to us. We don't see like people pouring oil over one another as a casual expression, but David knew exactly what that meant. As a shepherd, one of the greatest threats to your flock in the summertime is, is flies, right? Anybody played with shepherds in their lives. I think Merlin has. Yeah, we've got at least one. So fact check me here, Merlin. You know, flies are a dangerous threat to the flock. Warble flies, nose flies, black flies. Philip Keller in his book, he talks about this absolute misery and that even the ultimate death that can come from just a, a few flies on your animals. I'll spare you a lot of the details because it's almost lunchtime. But a fly and its eggs, right, are torture to a sheep. They cause horrible suffering because left untreated, flies get into places they shouldn't be. One bite at a time, they lay these eggs, they create wounds that itch, and then infections that, that blister and blindness and death. So what's a shepherd to do? At first sign of fly season, it's a well-known practice in Jerusalem, even today, that a shepherd will take a homemade remedy of sulfur and oil and they would literally pour it over their sheep's head as protection. 
And then after they completed that part, whatever flies had caused damage to the, 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 the body of the, the lamb, they would cover the body now with the same oil, cover the wounds and the scabs as healing ointment. Much in the same way in first century Palestine, if you're going to have a meal with a dignitary or a king, anyone of nobility, get this, you would bathe yourself in a bath, not of water, but of olive oil. My wife, Jen, and I went over to Israel. It was fascinating to see these massive cisterns set aside just for that purpose. As, as if you were going to go and meet with someone of nobility, you would walk into this thing. You would cover yourself in oil. And then you and your servants would scrape off with pottery shards until you were good and clean. Now just take those two ideas, right? Healing and cleaning, but then add one more. Oil wasn't just a, a healing ointment or a cleaning agent. It brought something even, even better to the mix, to be anointed with oil, right, was to be a, have a sign of God's favor placed over your life. It was a biblical symbol of God's hand over you. This is David's ticket to the seat at the table. In the book of Exodus, God commands Moses to consecrate Aaron and his sons as priests. And not only are they anointed with oil, but then they go around and sprinkle the tabernacle with the same oil to set it apart as holy. When Elisha is set to succeed, uh, Elijah, what does Elijah do? He takes a cup, a horn of oil, and pours it over his head. And so it makes perfect sense that David would use this imagery because that's what happened to him when all the other sons were rejected and David was named as the successor, the one who would be king of Israel. Samuel, the prophet, takes a horn of oil and pours it over his head. See the symbolism here? This is unmistakable, right? David has not only been given a place at the table, in order to be there, he's been made pure by the Lord's hand. He's been restored by God's favor. His wounds healed, his sins washed. Not only do you invite me for dinner, right? But you anoint my head with oil such that my cup of salvation now comes running over. Again, just think about this with me. What is the first thing that you do when you come over to somebody's house for dinner? Should I take my shoes off or can I wash my hands? See, when we read that David was at the table in the presence of his enemy, that begs, it should beg a life-changing question for us, right? What is it that separates the enemies from David? Why does David get to be at the table and his enemies are, are outside? See, it can't be David's merit, right? David belly flopped. David was not a man who was, who was of, of full dignity and respect at all times. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He didn't get into this table because of how courageous he was or how well he led or didn't lead. How did he earn it? See, the fact is he didn't, right? He's only at the table because God in his covenant grace gives him the invitation that's the only thing separating David from his enemies at this table. And yet, hear this. So often in life, I feel like as God's sheep, that fact is really hard for us to grasp. Right? We, we feel as though we wrestle with God with that exact challenge, right? Like, Lord, I messed up. Somehow I've got to earn it back. Somehow we've got to articulate ourselves in such a way that we can get ourselves back into God's graces we feel like we have to make it up to, to get whatever is ahead of us to keep us away. But that's not how the sheep things works. 1990 to 1993, the Buffalo Bills football team lost four consecutive Super Bowls in a row. 
four in a row. And the game that started this losing streak uh, was the Bills versus the Giants in 1990. And the entire match was neck and neck, this game. And it was really anyone's ball game until the very end. But with just eight seconds on the clock, the, the Bills called in their kicker. And they were confident like this was going to be the guy to get it done. His name was Scott Norwood. Had a great track record. And at 47 yards, they snapped the ball, but Scott whiffed it. I mean, horrible kick. And that kick now cost every player in his team their dream. No one got the ring. 20 years later, Scott was still wrestling with his failure. Look at what he said. He said, I still feel sorrow. I feel the disappointment of letting down my teammates that were there on the field. I get choked up thinking about it. You, know, you think about it, when it comes to kickers, you're either the hero or the zero, right? Scott said that final, final, following week that the team got back home, they got off the buses, and there must have been like a, I don't know, a loser's rally or something. There was 30,000 people in the stadium waiting to, to console this team. And he said all he wanted to do was curl up in a ball and die. He didn't even want to be there. He knew he was enemy number one. But he said as he sat behind the scenes, he started to hear this chant. The crowd started yelling louder and louder, we want Scott, we want Scott. This is how he describes it. He said, there's a chant that intensified. I was not expecting to be called at front like that. I, I had to speak off the top of my mind and real quick. This is what he spoke. He, he told the crowd, he said, I've never felt more love than I do right now. See, there's something about having a place at the table, right? That despite your mistakes, despite your filth, despite your lack of merit, the dinner bell rings. And for those who put their faith in Christ, there's a place for you. I feel like to fully understand this psalm, Psalm 23, we got to consider the words of Psalm 22. You remember those words? You will after I say them. Psalm 22 starts out like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, those are the exact words Jesus prayed on the cross, right? His was not a cup overflowing. His was not a, a cup that endlessly went in the mercy and goodness of the Lord. No, his was an empty cup. You see the significance here, right? Not only did, did David get to this table and, and have this cup overflowing that he so fondly speaks of, right? But the anointed one took the other cup, took the curse so that he could have the blessing. As one commentator wrote, he said, you either hold the cup of blessing overflowing with God's goodness or you hold the cup of curse. There is no other cup. And here's how this works, right? Jesus comes to live this perfect life, unlike David. He comes to fulfill the picture of that image of the shepherd to his flock. He makes this promise that come what may, once I have you, I'll never take, let go of you. And to prove it, what does he do? The shepherd lays down his life. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. 25, make no mistake about it, Jesus is at a table prepared in the presence of his enemy, Judas. And he hands his disciples this cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. David has a cup overflowing. I love how one scholar puts this. Jesus did not have the green pastures. Jesus did not have the still waters. Jesus did not have comfort and peace. His was agony and suffering and death. Why? so that you and I could sit at the table. See, what separated David from his enemies was faith 
And it was only by that faith, by God's anointing, that David has a place at the feast. So here's my takeaway. Let me make this really practical this week. Here's, what I, here's my invitation to you. Stop wandering and stop wondering. Right? There is a table prepared for each and every one of us. And if you think about it, what, what would it look like if we could take that idea and take it from our minds and put it in our hearts? How would that transform our lives? I mean, we can't fathom the transformation, right? If we would stop and truly soak in that reality that like a child washing his hands before supper, you have a place, an unmerited place of favor at the table, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. I want to invite the band to come back up. I want to invite you to just close your eyes and I want to read this passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 25, and I want you to just picture this scene that Isaiah paints as he foreshadows what this table looks like. Just listen to this. He says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a great feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of, mar of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that's spread over all nations. He'll swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, David writes. You anoint my head with oil. Man, let's ask God what it looks like for that cup of salvation to overflow this week. Pray with me. God, we are so grateful for your love for us. God, and we confess we like sheep, every one of us have, have gone our own way. We have wandered astray from you. Lord, some of us this morning, we, we just wandered in here. And yet, God, we, we know that you call on us as your flock to stop wondering. So Lord, we pray that the enemy would not get a, a foothold in, in, in our, our lives thinking, where do we stand before you? Have you forgotten us? Are you with us, Lord? But rather, would you paint that picture again for us? Not only of the shepherd leading his sheep to green pastures, but Lord, also of the shepherd inviting his sheep to sit at the table. God, your word has told us they will come from north and south and east and west to feast at this, this table in the kingdom of heaven. So, Lord, would you give us a foretaste? God, as we leave this place today and we, we break bread together and we, we drink from the cup, Lord, would you remind us that your goodness and mercy is with us now and always. And, God, may that reality change the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.